Hey everyone, Nick Mataragas here with a special announcement. Starting on February 17th, we will be presenting a short series titled Vote Local, The Art in Local Politics. Side Street Studio Arts founder and executive director Aaron Rayberg will interview the 2021 Elgin City Council candidates about their involvement in and support of the arts. Episodes will be released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday until we get through all the interviews. That's Vote Local, starting February 17th. Hello, all, and welcome to Connected. This is the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts, where we have conversations with members of the arts community. I am Erin Rayberg, one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street Studio Arts. And joining me this week is Amanda Harris, um, who I'm not going to try her title because it has changed sometimes. So I'll let her say her title. Uh, as well as the the number of other titles. She walks around with badges on naming them all the time. So welcome, Amanda Harris. Nice to see you. You too. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, so the first badge of honor that I have, I'm just kidding. I don't walk around <laughs> like a Girl Scout, although that does sound fun. Uh, so I work for the city of Elgin. My title is assistant to the city manager for special projects and the arts. Um, I'm also the managing director of the Elgin Fringe Festival. I'm the co-artistic director of the Going Dutch Festival um, with the other broad on this joint right now. And uh, I've been in the arts for as long as I can remember. Uh, So as you may already know, but just to lay it out there for full transparency, we know each other pretty well. (laughs) most of the time we like each other Mm -hmm. and uh I did some math that's never right but we have now known each other for over 10 years yes so that's um weird and you know the gray hairs you have I saw them come into your skull that's that's how long we've known each other that is the creepiest way to put that but it is actually it's the the only way to put it (laughs) um so amanda and i met in tennessee and i think it was 2011 um i think was the year it was either 10 or 11 it was 10 because i was it was my last semester so i was teaching at middle tennessee state university and amanda was finishing up her time as a student there um so how did you wind up at middle tennessee state university I mean, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. Um, it wasn't like an active, like, I'm going to go to this university. It was more like, oh, I guess I should go to school now. So filled out an application. I knew I wanted to go in-state for financial reasons. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Middle Tennessee, it's where I got my, my degree. I chose uh, my college because I could get my own room. So great. What, what, whatever gets you where you need to go. And I'm thrilled with what I chose. Um, <laughs> so what is that degree? So my degree is officially in speech and theater with minors in directing and a second minor in history. 
um, since I've graduated, the theater department now has its, its own department. It's not co uh, a combo with the speech department, but um, yeah, that's my undergrad degree. So it's technically a Bachelor of Science. And did you know you were going to go into the theater world when you got to school, when you were planning on going to college? Yeah, I mean, we were advised over and over and over by so many different people as, you know, high school seniors to go in undecided because you're going to change your major so many times. We just kept hearing that over and over. And so that's what I did. My first semester, I was an undecided student. And then I knew, you know, I, I immediately, even though I was an undecided student, I, um, I auditioned for things and, you know, was immediately attracted to the theater department. And um, by the next semester, by my second semester, I had declared that as my major. My minors, I kind of waffled back and forth a little bit as I spent more time in school. You know, you focus on those gen ed classes and some of those lower level um, major classes at first. But yeah, by my second semester, I knew I wanted to do theater. Had you been doing theater before college? Yeah, so um, it's a weird story. It's not. I <laughs> always wanted <laughs> to be um, a biological mission specialist for NASA. I wanted to go up and I wanted to study biology. I love biology. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, it's super, super weird. People in the arts don't typically love science, <laughs> but I do. Um, and that was the goal. I was, you know, doing all these research things and I was super into NASA. And um, then I took a theater class and it was all downhill from there. Um, I pretty quick realized that I loved theater. So I got involved in the theater, you know, um, clubs and did speeches and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I knew pretty, pretty immediately that 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 was in my my bones and my blood and what I wanted to do. Why did you know? How did you know? It felt natural from the first moment. It felt like, oh, these are all things that feel normal to me. I had I've always been a loud person. I know this is news to you. I've always been a, like a loud, um, extroverted person. I I make jokes. I'm you know I'm kind of off the cuff person. Um, and so putting putting myself in a position where I could put on the the, the skin of somebody else and, and use those skills that I feel like I, I naturally had. It was just, it was just natural. Um, I loved it. I loved the culture of it. I loved the technical aspects of it. I loved the creative aspects of it. I, it was just, it felt kind of like a home right away. There was a one of the years I was working at Middle Tennessee State University, we hosted the American College Theater Association Festival for our region, right? And um, I was helping with that. I was in the dance department, but I was assisting Jeff Gibson with that. And kind of two minutes before the whole festival started, I was sitting at a registration table, just kind of my two minutes of silence before everything got going. And I, having been to so many of the dance version of this, I thought in my brain, I wonder how this will be different than the American College Dance Association festivals. And not one second after I thought that, did the doors to the theater 
both burst open at the same time. And the biggest, loudest, most flamboyant man student who I don't know who it was with two boas around his neck came in and said, we're here like that. And I, my question was answered. I was like, oh, cause theater people <laughs> and say what you will. They are different than people who have focused on dance and you've now spent a lot of time with dancers. But anyway, so when you say, you know, like it, it allowed that part of you to be what it was, I just picture that moment as, you know, as cliche as it is, but also as honest as it is just being able to do that and be comfortable with that and also be around people who will do that and be comfortable with that, right? It's not something everyone has or wants and um, is is a kind of person. It's something inside you somewhere, I think. Yeah, it gives you this like freedom to explore who you are and who you want to be. And and there's a variety of outlets to do that, right? There's, there's the technical things and there's creativity in all of it, which I, I love, you know? Um, you get to stretch and you get to take chances and you get to, I mean, it sounds stupid, but put on different skins and see what fits you best. I mean, mm -hmm, yeah, that's. <laughs> we met at MTSU, you know, we passed in the night a few times, but we really met at MTSU when you were thinking a lot about stage management um, and that sort of thing. And so, first of all, what is stage management? Uh, it's kind of the, um, how do you define this in a non-douche way? Basically, you take the notes and you run the show once the creative portion is really over. So the director puts people where they go, the designers design the people, the people perform the words, and then the stage manager kind of runs all the pieces. You have your stage management book, you know where everyone's supposed to be at every moment moment. Um, you're responsible for the whole show. Um, <clears throat> I don't really know how I got into it, but I've always also been kind of that type A sort of person. And I've, as happens when you go to college, like that, those pieces of you kind of ebb and flow um, and stage management sort of became a natural fit for that type A, like documents, documents, business, business. Um, and so there near the end, I took uh, senior capstone class with Kim Neal, who was the, I don't know what his actual title was, but he was like the boss of the dance department. Um, and we had to um, do different projects. We had to come up with a project. Um, and that, in while I was in that class and in that building, that's where, where you and I met. Um, and I also realized quickly that as a theater person, the more diverse your training is, the much greater likelihood that you're going to be hireable. Um, and you, you know, you, you become a bigger asset when you have that diverse training. So that's kind of what, what else were you doing while you were there and directing and acting, you know, what other areas of theater and the arts were you working in? Definitely in the acting. Um, that's really where my focus was early on. Um, and I kept doing that basically all the way through the end. Um, I came to directing a little bit later, uh, same with playwriting. I came to later because I was, I was really afraid of playwriting um, because that's 
there's with directing, you have a script that somebody gave you, you have something to work with and you put your spin on it. It's the same with acting. Whereas with playwriting, you're starting from scratch is, I mean, it just felt so vulnerable to me and it made me very nervous. Um, so I, I kind of did all three of those. Um, and then I kind of came to stage management after that. Um, and part of that had to do with the history classes I was taking at the time. I, I enjoyed when I stage managed my first show, which was You're in Town. I enjoyed, you know, the, the creative aspect that the director took on it. I enjoyed working with the different designers. I enjoyed doing kind of this historical review of why, the, why this play existed and what the impacts on history were and, and that kind of thing. Um, so pretty diverse, but it definitely shifted as I got older and, and continued that collegiate career. I feel like with the size of MTSU, which is it's a big school, but it's not a huge state school, but especially the theater department when you and, and I were there was a size that you were able to do and try and dabble in all of those things in serious ways. You didn't have to um, really focus on just acting, for example, and spend all your time and resources in that and and. I know I personally see so much benefit in that um, and in people coming out of it. I can see that more well-rounded human, uh, let alone professional. Um, yeah, I definitely yeah. think that that's a skill too that I took into the rest of my career. You know, it's not pigeonholing yourself, but rather understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and knowing how to balance that with the needs of whatever position or role or organization you're in at that moment. So um, you had the class with Kim Neal Nofsinger, who's someone I've known forever at this point. He was a guest artist at my school, at my undergrad, um, and we fell in love quickly. And when I was finally teaching, he brought me into MTSU and he hooked us up in kind of two ways. The dance department was recreating a work by legendary choreographer Alwyn Nikolai um, called Pond, a really beautiful and amazing work that the dance department was selected to do. And kind of simultaneously, um, you had a stage management project you needed to do, I believe. And he was like, hey, Aaron does this Going Dutch Festival maybe that would be a good place to pursue that. Am I remembering this right? Sort of. So the pond thing, you uh, you had to apply to be the tour manager and stage manager for. And so I threw my hat in the ring and I was selected for that. And beyond that, I didn't have any other like reason to, to do like the, the going Dutch thing other than Pond was included in that. So he was like, hey, you're doing stage management. You should think about this thing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's right. I had forgotten that Pond was a part of it that year. So that wasn't going Dutch. Here's the conversation we have bear. all the time. It was Bones Bear. <laughs> oh my gosh. This fight we have all the time and it will be of interest to no one except for the two of us. Um, but we drove from Tennessee to Chicago to do this performance and there were three of us in the car and the third of us slept the whole way. And Amanda and I really had a chance to get to know each other in 
the car and those hours flew by and we were like, oh yes, I agree with you. And oh yes, I agree with you. And you're the smartest, funniest person I've ever met. And oh my gosh, so are you. And we got out of the car in Chicago and are like, oh, there's a world outside of the two of us that <laughs> it was just one of those, we clicked right away sort of road trips, uh, which those road trips can go so quickly the opposite way if you don't, but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then we got to dive right into work. Uh, I love work. Amanda loves work. <laughs> we both love to work, which is not necessarily good or healthy, um, but we do and found very quickly that we like to work together. Um, and so uh, it, it went really well right off the bat, I think, personally. Is that part of your recollection? Yeah. <laughs> Match. I, <laughs> I remember saying yes to stage managing the show and then going home and Googling for several hours how the hell to do that uh, because I had never done anything on that scale, but also knowing like, I can probably figure this out. I was very young and very stupid. And, you know, coming to the the venue, I think it was, it was Ruth Page that year. Yep. Um, and I happened to have um, Jimmy Murray, who was going to be running lights along with Devin Shonshak. Um, and so they knew what they were doing. And then we had a great guy on sound. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Who was Kyle running sound? Though? Yes, it was Kyle. So yes. Kyle Resto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all, I, w- I had the luxury of being like a really good team and they knew their bits and I just had to be responsible for my bit. Um, and then wrangle like a lot of 18 year olds. That was maybe the worst part. <laughs> and learning how to parallel park in Chicago at mm. midnight for the first time um, in a minivan. Important skill set. I mean, everyone needs to learn that right now. Like in this downtime for the industry, get that parallel parking on lock. It in a was, van. Right. It was intense. Uh, but yeah, it was good. I think we, we had a good rhythm right away. There was, I remember very clearly there being no, like, no facade of like a fake personality or like you say one thing and you mean another. It was just like, yes, A, B, and C. And you're like, great, one, two, three. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I appreciated that from the get-go. Absolutely. You bring up something that I know we all talk about a lot, especially in how we came up, so to speak, in that fake it till you make it sort of thing, which, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways of saying it, but what, we mean by that in as someone who's gotten jobs until the last 10 years that maybe I wasn't yet qualified for, but in the room, I was like, Hey, 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 you know, I could charm enough to get my foot in the door. And then, like you said, before Google, whatever you had to do to figure out how to do that job to the best of your abilities so that you could get all the way in the door. Um, and, I know that something I struggle with in in working with anyone are people who are slightly more tentative about that. Like, I don't know this, I don't know that. Yes, please ask all the questions, but also work to figure it out, like make those mistakes, you know, cause that's how you learn. And, um, you know, we 
use the term post-mortem, but after everything we do, including those early days working together, that night or the next day is what went right, what went wrong, how do we do it better tomorrow or next year or whenever we're doing it again. And that's such an important part of that fake it till you make it mentality um, that can become a part of being a hard, good worker that gets reemployed and hired for different things, not just that one thing, I think. I totally agree. I also think that it teaches you who and how to trust in your work circle, hmm. right? Because there are some there are some people that I know that I, I feel safe in certain working environments where I can I, I feel safe to take those chances. I know that if somebody in this circle recommended me for this position or this job that maybe I only feel 60% about that they see that I can get there and they're going to support me in those efforts. Um, and so like being aware of who you invite into that work circle where you can take those chances and you can have those really honest postmortems, which are, I mean, people who don't have a postmortem after a big project, I don't know how you, right. like, how, how do you move forward? You know, right. so like having, having those where you can have really honest conversations and, and be critical, but, but also, um, you know, in a helpful way, um, are, I think that is just as important. Absolutely. And it's not easy to find those people to work with. I mean, through side street and everywhere we've worked with so many people over the years and some come and go because that that mentality that we have of wanting you to feel brave and go for stuff as well as learn on the job because that's the best way to learn as well as self-motivate um doesn't make it's not always comfortable it doesn't mean that you're going to be comfortable all the time it doesn't mean that people aren't going to be like why did you do that and you need to figure out why you did that and maybe it was the best way or not but um you know, it still makes me uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, but we always, not always, most of the time at the end of those kind of moments or situations or projects, you get to a place of doing it better, not doing it again, right? There's plenty of things, events, dream projects that we've been like, well, we tried that, that's not going to work. Um, but I, it's just so much fun to be around people who are willing to take those risks and, and, figure out how to make something work. Yep. Um, so from Middle Tennessee State University and us meeting and that kind of thing, how did you wind up in Elgin? Oh, Lord. So <laughs> most of that I blame on you. So I when citizens of Elgin that. are <laughs> mad, I'm going to give them your email. Um, well, so I graduated, I waffled around for a little while, stayed in Murfreesboro, brief hiatus working in, in Wyoming and kind of traveling and doing a different yeah, thing. Tell us about Wyoming. That's such a huge part of, it's like such a moment, but such a huge part of who you are. Yeah. So I graduated from college in 2010. So we were like in the middle of this horrible recession. I could not find a job to save my life, no matter where I applied to every gas stations, retail shops, I could not find a job. Um, and I was having this casual conversation with a friend of mine one day, and he was applying to go work out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, over at the Grand Teton um, National Mountain there at that national park. I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. I can't believe you're doing that. I would love to do that. And he was like, so do it. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's a really good point. So <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Why? I would have to say that to you, but sometimes you need someone to be like, and? 
Right. I mean, it's, and I was like, oh yeah, no, for sure. That's a super good idea. So I applied at the time. I was also really interested in cooking. Um, food and the preparation of food has been a really big part of my life in my family. Um, my grandma and my mom, like, that's what we did. We sat at the kitchen table and like drank coffee and gossiped like little bitties and like flipped through cookbooks and the circulars looking for the deals for the menu for the week. Like, it was just a big part of my life. I love cooking. I love cooking food for people. Um, and I love kind of the culture around it. And so when I looked at the jobs, um, they had various like chef positions and kitchen positions. And I thought, okay, well, this is a, like, it's a seasonal job. I think it was like six months. Um, but I thought this is a really good opportunity to put myself in that role and see if this is something that I wanted to pursue. Um, and so I did, I got the job. I went out there, worked from like May through October or something. You did a phone interview and you said something really dumb in Amanda and the guy interviewing you wound up loving it. Yeah. What did you say? Do you remember? I don't know. Oh no. I love the story of something like, well, hot buttered grits or so, you know, I mean, not (laughs) that, but, but you said one, a great Amanda sentence and you immediately regretted it. And then he was immediately like, well, I love that. Or (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. I said work in the room (laughs) all that time. Yeah, so went out there, worked with some amazing people. It was one of the best adventures ever. It it sounds stupid to say that six months can shape like who you become out of it, but it, it does. And because you're only there for six months, like we have the saying, it's Teton time because everything works and operates at such an accelerated pace. I mean, a normal work week was 48 hours, not 40. So you don't even get into overtime until after that. So it was amazing and wonderful. And I learned so much. I met some of the best people who I'm still friends with today. I have, I met people from all over the world. Um, I got to spend time in this incredible national park. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And I learned through that, that, you know, just because you love something doesn't mean you have to do it for a living. And that was maybe the most important lesson out of that whole adventure because I love cooking for people, but that lifestyle did not fit for me. And I learned that while I was there. And it also brought to light, like, okay, I love theater. I love the arts. I love all of these different things. And so it makes it, it has made it easier moving forward in my career with that knowledge that just because you're not doing something for your, you know, nine to five job, doesn't mean that you love it any less or doesn't make it any less significant. Um, it was great. I, I absolutely loved my time there. <laughs> and then Elgin. Yeah. <laughs> Just straight shot. Uh, <laughs> um, no ish. So at the time I was working for your dance company core project um, at the same time, even while I was in Wyoming, but like kind of removed. So Stage management, the show here, kept working, you know, for Core Project during all of that time. And uh, that next year, we did um, the basically the U.S. tour of the dust. And so managing the different fringes, loving all of those things, um, learning about that kind of stuff. We've basically gone for three months. It was awesome. Another fantastic summer. Um, And then you moved back to Elgin um, and I stayed in Tennessee and was working at the time I had just gotten engaged. And 
So we were like preparing for life. Um, and you called me up and you're like, hello. So um, Tanner and I are starting a thing. Do you want to come and do it? And I was like, yes, please. I'll be there on Monday. So <laughs> it was way more complicated, but that's kind of how it worked. It was pretty much it. I mean, as it was either on the way to, no, it was on the way to Bones Bear, Nashville that we designed the side street logo like we yes. had walked through the space we had we had started to get excited about something we didn't know what it was going to be but on the drive to bones bear nashville which must have been november of 2012 mm -hmm. we came up with the name side street studio arts and we designed the logo which every every few months to this day we're like man that's a great freaking logo <laughs> We're still super proud of the logo um, and designed it heading down to that. And we're able to kind of start talking to all our Tennessee folks about it. And then it wasn't long after that, that we were getting really into it and thinking about opening because we did that in March of 2013. And we were sitting at Martini Room. You know, we were probably a couple drinks in. And I remember looking at him and going, we need Amanda. And he, you know, he get, you know, that Tanner look that he wants to say yes right away, but is going to shoot holes in it for a couple minutes just to make sure. And we were like, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know how or if anyone's going to get paid, but we need Amanda. And we called you from Martini room mm -hmm. and we're like, hi, that's exactly what you said. And you were like, yeah, let me let me talk to Matt and we'll, let's figure this out. You know, it was like right time and place and you two were ready for a change and we were starting this, whatever it was going to be. And we knew we all worked together well already. At that time, you had then worked with Tanner on a couple things. And um, it, but, you know, just like you were just saying, we've kind of shown that you can do these few things. We were sitting in that place like the puzzle piece missing to move this forward is whatever it is Amanda does, <laughs> <You know? laughs> whatever that is, we're missing that. So then when we came down for your wedding, however many months later that was, that would have been September of that year. So you guys called me like that March, April, and uh, then you came down for the wedding in September. Yeah. Yeah. Then you guys headed up right after that. Yeah. We moved up here that October. So yeah, we were trying to decide what was next. We knew we didn't want to stay in Tennessee. I was already coming up here like five, six, seven times a year for stage management or whatever. Um, and so it just kind of worked out. Yeah. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> what, what did we do? What were we doing that first couple years of side street? I mean, we weren't getting paid. Like, you know, once in a while we'd throw in our own money, you know, we'd sit down, especially me, you, Tiffany was still around a little bit, Roberto Martinez, who was one of our first interns who was then sticking around, right? And Tanner, we'd sit around and there'd be a month where we'd be like, okay, we don't know how we're going to do next month. Does anyone have extra bucks right now? And once in a while we'd, you know, everyone at that table would throw money in to get to the next month. And then a new grant would come in, right? There were always these kind of moments of, oh, okay, now we can pay people back and move forward. Um, but I feel like we were also doing stuff too. Yeah, I mean, pretty early on, we started doing the director's retreats where like we 
would go away someplace, you know, the, the three of us. Um, and then, you know, eventually we added Roberto, Roberto to that mix, which was Roberto. great. <laughs> and we would kind of plan what we wanted to do. It was very, it was a very open creative space where like the three of us would just sit around and be like, okay, I have this idea. And then we would bounce it back and forth like a volleyball for a little while and figure out like, okay, why are we doing this? And how much is this going to cost? And does this make sense? And okay, great. And then we would try it, you know? Um, and that's how we came up with a, a lot of the programming that even still exists today. Like so many of the things like the Jubilee, I remember sitting at the Elgin bookstore and Tanner being like, we should do something for the 4th of July. And I was like, yeah, maybe we could do something with pie. And it just sort of like spun out to this huge thing that now, you know, happens every year where there's the bake off and the pie eating and the dunk tank. And it's just like this nonsense thing. So we spent a lot of time coming up with really good and really bad ideas. <laughs> like one of mine was the make and take Tuesdays, which I think would probably fly now, but <laughs> like the, That's the danger of a bad idea, right? I a know. few years later, you're like, I think it would work now. And you're not, <laughs> I don't, we can't be right. It's not right. Like we know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the thing with movie nights and new year's Eve galas. Like these are the things that don't work. Um, yeah, it was just, we did a lot of stuff. We did. Oh man. We did plays. We did music. Um, Jingle bell jam was one of the first things we did. Um, and also right away was the fringe. So like I moved here in October in November you and Sean sat me down. You're like, we're doing a fringe. And I was like, cool. So now I have two jobs <laughs> and neither pay. Very cool. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. So it was, I mean, it was really fun though. We had gallery hours. We always had art on the walls. Um, and the, the kids programming was going too. So a lot of the same stuff that we're, you guys are doing now was still happening then. It was just vastly different scale. You, Amanda just told me the other day that, you know, sometimes now she'll walk into Side Street and see see new staff or something like that and be like, who, who are you? What are you doing here? And, and why don't I know where everything is? <laughs> this is my house. Get out of here, visitor. Yeah, it's 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 a weird like ownership feeling that will probably never go away. And I'm sure I'll offend people um, forever. But, I mean, it's it's silly to be romantic about eight years ago, you know, or seven years ago. It doesn't seem that long, but, you know, there'll be a moment at a fringe or going Dutch in backspace a couple of years ago or whatever, where you'll, where you'll look around. I'm getting chills right now. Think about it. Where you'll look around and the joint will be packed with people for, of all ages and flavors and interests. And art will be happening and conversations will be happening. And, and then you flash back to a night of music where there were three of you listening to a band with three people in it and it still felt good, but it, you know, it's, it's just so different now in a really good, beautiful way. Um, but it, it's easy to forget that it started with you know, 10 of us in a room for battle of bands watching the shakes and rumbles. Right. Ugh. And, and, and 
it's, it's easy to forget that sometimes and not getting paid and then having to come in the next day for gallery hours and having to do all the cleaning and all of the admin and all of that with just three, four people, you know? I mean, I remember, so like this December, I helped with the setup for the, um, uh, the Jingle Bell Jam, the virtual. It was, yeah, the virtual Jingle Bell Jam. And I, you know, I'm telling Tanner, like, okay, I need this tree and these lights or whatever. And it's all stuff that I remember, like, because I'm pretty sure I bought or, you know, donated all the stuff anyway. And I was like, yeah, I need all the stuff. I was like, okay, I'll get there at such and such time to get everything pulled out. And he was like, oh, we'll have somebody else do it. And I was like, you'll do what? (laughs) Because I'm just, it's, I remember so vividly nights of like, carrying 60 chairs up the stairs and setting them all up ourselves and then having to carry them all back down. It's, it's, it's very different now in such a really good and positive way. It just, yeah, it's, it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's super weird. (laughs) So, you know, we still work together on a lot of those things. And like you just mentioned, when we do something like a Jingle Bell Jam, Amanda lives and breathes for Christmas. So it was super natural to ask her to be a part of a holiday celebration. Um, but eventually you needed to find a gig that paid more. Yeah, again, just to remind people, Tanner and I didn't start getting paid till last year. So some people needed <laughs> to find jobs that paid before that, you know, we all had multiple jobs all over the place in order to be able to survive. Um, you know, but Amanda needed a little bit more security than we were able to provide. <laughs> so I think I think the first gig that kind of came up was um, the liaison gig. Is that officially, you know, it was like showcase coordinator, cultural arts commission liaison. Is that how, the first one that came up with the city? Yeah. So that's the gig I applied for. And that would have been like uh, two, maybe two years later. I think it was 2015. I think that sounds right. So, and the thing that I liked about it was it was in the arts, it was a paying gig, but it also was only part-time. So I could still split, you know, my time with side street and that kind of thing. So 20 hours managing the Elgin Art Showcase and then being the Cultural Arts Commission liaison. And And what what are those two things? What's the Elgin Art Showcase and what's the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission? So the Elgin Art Showcase is a venue on the eighth floor of the professional building here in downtown. It's kind of like a black box, except it's white with lots and lots of windows. Um, it's kind of a do-it-yourself setup venue. Um, beautiful, beautiful space in this historical building. Um, and then the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission is a um, city council appointed commission that oversees various projects um, and initiatives. Uh, They oversee things like the Elgin Shore Film Festival um, and uh, Talent Fest and Elgin uh, Summer Theater, that kind of thing. That's a group of about 10 individuals plus a couple staff members um, that that do stuff throughout the year. Um, And that's where the position stayed for two years or so. I think it was the two years later um, when, you know, pretty quickly after the first year or so, the, the workload became bigger than 20 hours. Um, but I loved what I was doing. It was similar to side street, right? So I just kind of kept on working and took the pay that I got. Um, and then it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and we were doing things like applying for big grants, um, and wanting to expand some of the programming. And that really all started with the public art plan. 
And that would have been created in 2016 that year and then adopted in 2017. What was that transition like? I mean, we when we were all at Side Street together, we were like, I don't know how I'm going to work for a boss again because, you know, it was a kumbaya-ish, you know, boss-wise over here. Um, but now you have citizens as bosses, <laughs> as well as elected officials as bosses, as well as, you know, higher up. But, you know, so how was that transition and, and how does that work for you now? It was 100% terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was so spoiled by working with you and Tanner and Roberto just being like, I have this idea. You do A and you do B through C and and it things just did right because it was the four of us and then you know a handful of interns and, and other volunteers that would come and help out so it was it was very different being in a world where there are you know over a thousand employees and things just move at a different pace I can't just kind of go out on my own and do things I had to change my expectations about how how quickly or slowly things operated and and also what the impact of those things were going to be, right? Like you think throwing a mural on a wall is going to be no big deal, but it's not, right? Because you have to be accountable for every one of those dollars, not just for that moment, but also what does the maintenance look like? Who is going to take care of it? So like it became, it is a lesson that I have to relearn like every two years, you know, I, I can't be on my own. And I think that that's actually a good thing. It has taught me a lot. Um, it's also opened a lot of, I feel like it's opened a lot of people's minds here in this current position, right? That art is a whole lot of different things. It's not this painting or this play. It's, it's whatever you kind of want it to be. Um, and it, people are much more willing to, uh, pick up the phone when I call now, <laughs> let me put it that way. <laughs> Instead of it being like this broad again, she's got some sort of, you know, cockamamie idea. There's enough support, you know, I think amongst the community and city council and the staff here too, that see that the, the, uh, value and the impact, but it doesn't make things move any faster, but I do think that the changes are significant in size because of that. I agree. When you first began your city job, I had been on the Cultural Arts Commission for a couple of years, I think, at that point. And when I, and the, I mean, we could do a whole, maybe it might be interesting someday to do a whole podcast on the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission and the history and the ups and downs and the wild 80s, you know, like there's, there's like, you know, behind the music stories I feel like could be told by and for and about the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission. But when I got on there, many in the group had been on there for years and years because it had become, it had been a Hemmings situation and a separate commission. And then they were brought together. And so some people had been on through multiple iterations of this. Um, and I was very young in the room and uh, probably one of the few people, I can't remember everyone who was on, who were doing this all day, every day for a living, right? And so that, you know, I took my time as I like to do to kind of understand the dynamics of the room. Um, and then 
I know I personally, as we started to have turnover, wanted to change the look of the room as well, which we still have a long way to go as far as representation and involvement. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, it continues to change and evolve, but at least in my time on the cultural arts commission, the energy of it has changed to let's do stuff. Let's push forward. And, you know, we're going to get these roadblocks blocks because bureaucracy and safety and insurance, right. And all of these things that are important, but I've learned so much during my time about yes, the importance of those things, but also about finding that like give and take that while of course insurance is is an important issue, it shouldn't be the thing that stops the creativity from happening, right? So that's something that I've watched you manage and maneuver and push back on in really important ways for artists in our area and something that I had to learn not to try and bulldoze through as much because many of these things there are good reasons for some there's not some there's just nonsense and that's where you need to push back Mm -hmm. um but they can be really important and valuable lessons to learn i think yeah absolutely i mean and to be frank those those lessons they, they change too like as as staff changes as council members change as the culture changes those those areas that you you kind of do that give and take it it changes um so just remembering to be flexible and come back to you know my husband and i talk about this all the time come back to what is your baseline why are you doing what you're doing um so that's been something that i've had to repeat to myself especially in those difficult moments of like yeah i've been working on this for six months and i've got nowhere right um Will you bring up the public art plan, which is so huge and beautiful and important and something that had been talked about on the commission with baby steps that had moved forward prior to your arrival. And then it took, again, we bring up the whatever it is Amanda does, <laughs> right? For you, I don't, people can't see my hand right now, but I'm, I'm flipping it around to indicate whatever it is Amanda does to be able to push that forward. So tell us a little bit about what that is and what it took and continues to take month after month to get this plan implemented and moving and now growing. I mean, I think honestly, it took my ignorance. I was like, yes, this is a good idea. So I just went and started doing it. And everyone was like, you're doing what? I was like, mm-hmm. and I just kind of kept going. Um, and that has been a good and a bad thing. Now I have enough, you know, experience working in local government to understand when to ask permission and at what point in a process. Um, yeah. So I spent the better part of a year of that 20 hour a week, you know, level doing research on public art, how to install public art maintenance. Um, I mean, you're I talking it. about murals and sculptures that you're talking about all of it, the whole situation. And I was really, really aware that, you know, we weren't going to create something just to create it. I wanted it to be specific to Elgin. Like what, what does Elgin want? What do the residents that live here and the business owners, what do they want? Like it, it shouldn't be just my ideas. Um, and I'm really glad that we took that tack going in because You know, we had two or three public forums and I mean, at least half, probably two thirds of what ended up being in the public art plan came from the actual people who live here. 
from those public forums. And they've been some of the most successful portions. Like, you know, it's not just about um, putting paint on a wall or putting some sculpture in a park. It's about incorporating it into your daily life and having the conversation about art at the very beginning, not at the very end and making people understand um, that, you know, art is something that can and should be incorporated from the very, very, very beginning um, and can be impactful in very, very small ways and very big ones too. So I read a couple books. I called a whole bunch of communities. I read every public art plan I could get my hands on. It's really, really embarrassing. If anyone wants any of this documentation, I have a ton of it. Um, so I did all of that. I went through and did a couple drafts. We did go to city council to say, hey, can we make this public art plan? Is this something that a commission can do? And they were like, yes, that's a good idea. So few drafts later, um, you know, along with the commissioner's input and feedback, um, we came up with this plan that allows for a couple different programs, new works program, which we do annually. Um, originally in the plan, it was for one new 2D and one new 3D piece each year, but it's kind of morphed since then in response to the community, right? Um, we have the uh, retired works program where an art uh, a piece of art that the city owns can be loaned out or donated to um, an educational institute or a um, nonprofit for you know a specific reason, um, which I think is really cool um, and also responsive to the community. We have the neighborhood public art grant program where a neighborhood can apply to get a piece of art by their neighborhood in their neighborhood. Um, we have the utility box wrapping program, which is one of my favorites. We uh, wrap utility boxes with um, art and those are good for a long time. Um, yeah, there's a few more programs in there and we are approaching the time period where we have to start thinking about what our next iteration of this public art plan is gonna look like. Um, it's, it's a significant amount of work to facilitate these programs in addition to the stuff that the commission already does, which is, two other uh, grant programs. They oversee now the Elgin Fringe Festival, the Short Film Festival, Elgin Summer Theater Talent Fest, Juneteenth, uh, there was the Kwanzaa celebration. I mean, it's, it's a significant amount of work and then you add in all of these public art things, but um, I wouldn't take it back for anything. I, I love it, I love it. I, Again, not a thing that was in my wheelhouse when I left college, right? But this was a need and I thought I could figure that out. And I spent a long time doing that. You mentioned, right, um, we did community forums to get feedback and that kind of thing. And you're in a space now where you have to listen and pay attention to both the positive and the negative, right? You have to make sure that the, those who don't agree with what you're doing are heard as well. I mean, you get that from, from me, right? I want to put a mural up. I think, I still think the process is a little too complicated, whether you agree or not, you have to tell me how to do this process, how to get it done. Right. Even if I'm frustrated with the process, right. Um, you know, you have to work through all of that. How is dealing with, uh, you know, throw social media into the mix, you know, <laughs> you know the, what's happening in Elgin page can get to us all from time to time. How are you able to find that, that balance to some of that pushback that could be from a citizen, from 
someone who is invested in the arts or even from a, a city council person? Uh, I'm not like, let's not pretend we're good at this. Right. Uh, it, it changes on a issue basis. You know, I, <laughs> I often talk about how this job more often than not is you between a rock and a hard place, because at no point will you ever make everyone happy. Mm-hmm. And because you are accountable to so many different entities and groups of people, um, you have to change your expectation of, of what is acceptable, you know? Um, and something I learned in one of my side jobs, you know, in college or whatever was more often than not, people just want to be heard. So I spend a lot of time listening. Um, and I have to, again, just come back to that baseline at why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I being fiscally responsible? Am I being responsive to the organization and to the, the community and the people who live here? And if all of those are yes, then I stand behind what I'm doing. Um, if at any point those things become a question, then you have to pause and reevaluate. And I think that's one more reason that these postmortems have become so important, right? Like, I, every time we finish something, I wish I could show you my whiteboard right now, but there's always like, okay, how can we be more accessible? What barriers do we have that we can remove? Um, how can we, how can we reach different community members that we're not? It's, it's these constant, constant questions. You have to constantly reevaluate what you're doing. I say you, me, I have to constantly. Oh shit, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Oh. <laughs> um, I have to constantly reevaluate those things, not just because I want to be accountable to the people I'm accountable to, but also because I want to make sure that what I'm doing is is true to that baseline, right? Culture changes, where we are in society changes, the the people who support and don't support change. Um, it's 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 constantly changing. So a lot of listening. Um, there's some tears, a lot of yelling in the car. Um, (laughs) no, it's really not that bad. I feel like I've been here long enough that people know me and, and I have established a certain level of trust within the community and within the staff here and and council members, they know I'm not going to say one thing and do another, or, you know, have some sort of secret hidden motive. I, I want to go home at the end of the day and not think about work. I want to go home and play with my kid. Like, so it's, uh, it's not always easy, especially when you are in a position that you, you know, you're either doing too much or too little, depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And that becomes really, really difficult. It feels, it feels not great to be the one fighting for, you know, the arts and, and trying to push things forward when at the same time you're getting, you know, punched in the back as you're pushing that boulder up the hill. So it's, it's not always easy. I think that, you know, it's important for everyone, the humans in the world <laughs> to understand that there are limitations to local government. And that's a lesson that I, again, continue to learn. Um, and when I get in that mood, I go home and watch, watch Parks and Rec. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Uh-huh. We, I know we've talked about you and I are not people who innately read between the lines. 
<laughs> like so often someone says something and I'm like, I trust that you are saying what you mean, right? Those are the people I work best with. And I start with that assumption of people and especially working near politics, um, you know, or even in a community that can sometimes feel so small, you have to check yourself on that sometimes because that is not how everyone works. Um, and, and that can be super stressful. <laughs> yes. It was one of the scariest things. And I came into this, you know, when I started this job, like I said, I did it because it was a paying gig, but because I wanted to keep my artistic home, I wanted to stay at side street. Um, and I was very naive and I still am sometimes because I do, I take people at their word. And so now I've learned to be a little bit more cautious, right? Take that step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, because I, 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 there early on, I was definitely too naive and I got, I got burned, you know, um, and part of that was my expectation that, you know, this is how things work, but it's, it's not always, um, you know. Yeah. I have so much more I want to talk to you about, but want to respect your time, but have a couple more things. We have, we have to talk about this moment, right. And uh, the arts and um, the arts in the city of Elgin. How are in light of especially COVID, right? How are the arts in Elgin doing? And and what in your role at the city do you see kind of the city's involvement in in getting things back moving when and if we can do that? Yeah. Um... You know, I'm always hesitant to speak for the arts. I feel like each group and artist has their own individual response to a pandemic. <laughs> um, that sounds stupid, but you know, <laughs> some organizations I have seen are, are pretty nimble and have moved to this more virtual offering, have scaled back what they're um, doing uh, and that kind of thing. Others just aren't capable of doing that. Their programming is, is based on being in person. Um, so it's, I mean, frankly, it's a scary time for the arts. I don't know. I don't know what the future looks like. I know that, you know, I think that the community here is, um, they care about the arts. I think that they respect the arts. I think they see the value of the arts. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we put out that survey just said like, when do you want to come back? And when you do come back, what do you want to see? And like over 600 people responded to that. Um, and people here, especially now a year into this pandemic value the arts, I think in a different way, it's an escape and it always has been, but now when we can't even physically escape our homes, that mental and emotional escape, I think is even more impactful. Um, even if it's five minutes or 10 minutes, or if it's, you know, a 30 minute friend show or, you know, a 40 minute staged reading or, or whatever. Um, so I think that we, from my perspective, we're just moving forward um, in, in the hopes that we can come back when it's fiscally responsible to do so, right? So uh, we did get the contract renewed for the showcase and we're ready to open as soon as it's, you know, allowed to be opened. Um, and I know that the Hemmons is rip roaring and ready to go too. Um, but you, for those organizations that use those spaces, they have to balance it, right? They, they can't, 
come to a venue and spend the money to rent the venue if they can't sell tickets. So it's being nimble enough to like say, okay, well then come to the space, use this equipment to record and put that content online if you want to, and we'll do it for this reduced fee and that kind of thing. So those small changes have been relatively easy to, um, to make. Um, even some of the bigger changes like additional cleaning equipment and getting getting people trained on that kind of stuff, those, those have taken a little bit longer but are in now and ready to go. Um, it's difficult for the Cultural Arts Commission for me to create a program where organizations can apply for operational funding with little to no barrier. And that's just because it's the local government. There are legal requirements that we have to put in place and we cannot get around. So there's a lot more leaning on the organizations and just me putting content out and saying, hey, are you aware of this grant? Did you see this grant? How can I help you? That kind of thing, more than anything. Um, and that's not a good feeling but at the same time, I think that it's the best thing I can do right now um, and try to keep the arts relevant so that when we are ready to be back, people are going to be ready to do that and um, I don't, I, ready to attend, I guess. Yeah, there. I, I thought maybe you would have all the answers. So I'm um, sorry to disappoint. I'm disappointed in, in <laughs> you specifically uh, about that. But um, I, I we didn't even get to talk about the art you make and are working on. I have been privileged to see, right? You, you have been working on a cookbook. You did a beautiful performance um, a couple going Dutches ago, just a... Um, you know, spoken word isn't the right, but, uh, and theater isn't the right word. Uh, I guess it was a monologue. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a monologue. Yeah. Um, work a lot about family, right. You've mentioned mom and grandma, um, that comes back in all, all the creative work, uh, that I've seen for sure. Um, are you, are you making or brewing on anything right now? Yeah, so like everyone, I'm super bored at home um, and it's too cold to get out and dig around in the dirt. So I have just started um, embroidering things. So I'm learning how to do that. Awesome. Um, and I just got the stuff to um, uh, start metal stamping. Mm -hmm. I'm really into at the moment this idea of um, this sounds stupid, but like with with mouths and what we're using to engage with, like you know, spoons and forks and cups and same. Like, I, I think it has to do with the fact that our mouths are constantly covered right now, right yeah. from this mask idea. Um, and so I I'm gonna start. I am starting working on metal stamping different things to say things that I want to say, but my mouth is covered. So using these utensils as the tool to do that. So that's, that's great. Yeah. You're also what you're doing with mouths, mouth, you know, however you want to read that, what you're doing with mouths. <laughs> uh, that's the title of the series, I'm sure. Uh, you know, makes me think, of course, of your daughter too, right? I'm sure she is at the age where everything goes in the mouth and that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you and I have talked a lot about staying involved in these sort of creative things as you become a mom and and spend time being a mom and focusing on family as as well. And um, how how is that puzzle putting itself together for you these days? Um, I learned by doing, by writing and performing that monologue that it is absolutely for me, a hundred percent necessary. It is art for me has become that outlet of, of processing things. Um, and even if it's that 30 minutes at home where I pull out that little doofy embroidery kit and just spend time, not with electronics, but just focusing on this one thing in front of me that I can control that I am doing just for me. I don't care if it's ugly or if it's broken. This is me engaging in a textile thing. Um, that that is absolutely important. And then taking taking those those moments, um, like when I wrote that monologue, that was to process a lot of different trauma, you know, and 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 putting it kind of out in the world and trying to move past it. So I think it's two things. Um, but I also, I've been doing this research. I found, I'll have to share it. Um, I can't remember the name or the, the author of it right now, but it's this woman who back in the sixties, she became a mom and she had to do that. She was balancing, uh, being an artist and, and being a parent. And she wrote this kind of manifesto about this is art now for me doing this laundry has become my art and that's acceptable and okay. And I was like, man, and it really make it has made me stop and think about what art means to different people, right? I've said it a number of times during this conversation, but art can be anything, and I I, I truly believe that that is the case. Um, and I I think that for me it is balancing that. I'm also learning that for for being a mom, watching Penelope do the the art that she does because she loves to do art, like watching her and, and finding that balance of, you know, not letting her squirt the food coloring in her eye, but also letting her play and create um, has been really interesting. And it's kind of reinvigorated those, um, you know, that, that childish thing where you just are present and in the moment and enjoying what you're doing with your hands at that, at that second, you know, that is creating something. Play. Mm-hmm. The importance of play, right? I'm speaking of sources. I have like three books on that that I revisit often because it's something that gets stripped away, right? Or maybe as a busy adult, you have to specifically make time for. Um, and we're so hard on ourselves when things don't look right or aren't right um, and need to be reminded about play and the art of play and how play is art, right? And all of those things. It's so important um and sometimes we have to make ourselves do that especially right now when probably a nap would feel better than anything right or just (laughs) you know for me right a bin of macaroni and cheese and a Mm heaty blankie is kind of the only thing I want to do um so yeah yeah. so how how do I fix that Amanda uh tune in next week Well, I don't even know who's on next week, so get a lot of pressure on them. Great. <laughs> Not my problem. <laughs> Amanda Harris, thank you for joining us. Uh, if people want to bother you about stuff, how should they do that? 
Uh, the best way is because we're so... <laughs> Just the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that terrible. Not, not today, anyway. Uh, so we're still mostly working from home. So email is probably the best. Uh, it's culturalarts at cityofelgent.org. Great. Um, and uh, we are in the middle of a winter fringe right now, right? Amanda's managing director of that. And you can check that out online at elginfringefestival.com. That's up through the end of January. We are getting those going Dutch applications out soon because holy moly, it's going to be the 11th going Dutch festival this year. And this time we actually know it's the 11th. We, we know it's the 11th. I'm not even going to fight about it. <laughs> 10 is it 10 is an easy one to remember so net the next year i won't remember anymore so mm -hmm. um but yeah uh reach out to amanda if you have thoughts or questions or anything you can always reach out to us at side street um as well thank you for listening everyone amanda thank you for being here if you like this show be sure to follow and rate and review and share um all of that kind of good stuff and you can tune in every wednesday uh, to hear different directors interviewing different folks about all the different weird, wonderful things out there. Uh, bye, Amanda. I love you so. I love you. <laughs> Keep doing good stuff. All right. You too. <laughs>